0: Welcome to The Bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life,
1: and everything in between. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Bridge. We are a show that connects east and west. My name is Jason. I'm originally from California, but living here in beautiful Wuhan, China. Today with me is Alex. Hello, everybody. This is Alex. I am repping the northeast part of China, but I'm speaking to
2: you from Beijing, China.
1: Today we're going to be conducting an interview with two amazing members of the film community. Please welcome to the show Link Yim, originally from Hong Kong, who has studied in New York, now lives in Beijing. He's a writer, singer, director, actor, whose work includes credit as an assistant director in the movie The Kitchen, Pavilion of Women, and Floating City. He has done television commercials and recently has won an award after another. He has won the Sky Award at the Pingyao Film Festival. He's also also won the Artistic Achievement Award at the 2020 Golden Rooster Film Festival. Currently, Link is working as a director for a new feature film, The Boy Who Counted Cars, and is set to begin production in a couple months. Welcome to the show, Link.
0: Hi, it's great to be here. Hello, Jason. Very happy to have you.
1: And we'd like to also welcome Sheena Tang, who first entered the public eye as a singer-songwriter signing with the prestigious label, I'm going to botch this, Taiha Mai Tien in 2001. Thank you. You
2: did wonderful. Uh,
1: Since she has produced music for A-list celebrities, she has worked with photographer Chen Ma and Link. She's also produced movies, including Three Days After Death in 2015, Happy Ending in 2018, Anna in 2019, and Beginning, Middle, and End in 2020. She's won awards at the Beijing International Film Festival in 2020 and has been a finalist there again and elsewhere. Please welcome to the bridge... Sheena.
3: Hi, everyone. (laughs)
1: Thank you guys for coming on the show. You know, I've never directed anything. I'm not sure Alex has. (laughs) I have. (laughs) What are some of the projects that you have both worked on? What projects have you worked on that you feel the most pride about?
0: I think some of the stuff we've done so far, we've done a lot of commercials and music videos and stuff like that. So, um, I mean, for commercials, we've done a pretty good commercial called Mandarin Oriental. Uh And I think it it kind of captures the spirit of kind of the East. Mm. Um, like an east versus west spirit kind of like your like our podcast show. the bridge exactly <laughs> um so i think it i think it's interesting to um find new styles in commercials to kind of learn different ways so that when we shoot um feature films then like we, we have like different toolboxes mm-hmm. different tools in our toolbox so it was interesting to find like a very asian kind of eastern rhythm in that in that commercial mm-hmm. um and obviously uh, the scripts that i've done um so one is called um anna and one's called the boy who counted cars which uh both of them are science fiction nice. and uh we're yeah thanks and then we're about to shoot uh the boy who counted cars so, so
1: um what is anna about for example
0: anna is about uh a scientist whose wife died and then he kind of creates recreates her consciousness and then he he brings her back but then um Mm. two very strange um Mm -hmm.
1: results and so what are some of the interesting uh shoots that you had or some interesting experience as a director on a film that you had written
0: so yeah i think um like shoots are always interesting because they're very unpredictable so um you know whenever we shoot something there are three phases right and as you guys know there's the there's the pre-production the production mm-hmm. the post-production. Mm-hmm. So pre-production is usually mm-hmm. like very it's more lonely <laughs> and it's <laughs> um it's more cre- it's it's the most creative. I was about actually. to say it's probably the best part. <laughs> well I I actually like all three parts but I think pre-production in general is the most creative because you're just by yourself most of the time mm. but while you're shooting it's just compl- it's always crazy mm. and no matter how many times you shoot because like I've also been like assistant directors for like you know, very experienced directors.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: It's never not crazy. <laughs> uh, you, you try to make, you try to have, you know, control <laughs> within chaos. And, but at the same time, it's fun, I guess. Well, how
1: long does it take? How many times do you typically shoot the same part of a scene? Like if you're doing like, I don't know, like a 10 second clip or a 30 second clip, how many times do you do it before you like have enough variety that you feel like you're going to be able to get it in post?
0: Yeah. Um. Well, actually, can I finish the last, the last thing? So I do have a little anecdote for sure. you absolutely so like in terms of interesting shoots so when I was an assistant director we kind of like were shooting in Suzhou one year Mm -hmm. and then it was it turned out to be like the highest the most rain it's ever had in like (laughs) in like a century Mm. so literally in a century so we were like all the trucks and everything so like you know like almost 100 people arriving at this river and then like across from the river is this little island where like Mm -hmm. the night before well where in the previous weeks we've like we've built the set there and then we've we've decorated it and we've actually i think put some lights even and then the morning we all like of you know 20 trucks arrived like the the island was gone (laughs) it was just gone (laughs) So, I know the story too well. Oh yeah, God. so, and um, it just, you know, it actually, to be honest, for that shoot, it was really tumultuous because two two of the lead, like for the same part, two actresses mm. left. So one of them left after shooting for two weeks even. Mm. So we had to like completely reshoot the same parts with like two monitors. So one was like mm. with the original Uh, shoot and then the other one on top of it to try to emulate the exact same shots so that was really crazy i think Mm, mm. and uh yeah it's never not crazy so (laughs) exactly (laughs) you know but like i like you know you embrace it it's so different from Mm, pre-production so um you know you really embrace i i like it so in terms of like um in terms of like um how long it takes for for shooting a scene um there there really aren't mm-hmm. i think it really depends on personal preference. I try to not go more than i've seldom gone more than ten mm. takes
2: <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, you know ten was not the a, a very low number oh, yeah but...
0: <laughs> uh, um. Yeah, I mean, like, there's like, you know, people like David Fincher who goes for like 50 tanks. I know, yeah. I know. But you know, know, actually, it makes sense, to be honest, because you know what? Because it really, like, usually when you shoot, you have to light it. And then when you light it, it actually takes like an hour, maybe, to light a scene. Mm. And then when you shoot a take, it's what, like three minutes? Mm. So if you think about it, we spend literally like 10, 20 times more times lighting it than actually shooting the thing. That's true. Mm. So if it takes that much, but then actually the most important part is what happens when you shoot it. So I actually think that, you know, it's, it's actually a good thing to shoot many takes. It's yeah. just that a lot mm-hmm. of times, you know, our, our, our budget doesn't allow it.
1: You know, in movies about making movies, oftentimes they, they they indicate that the final shot is the one that the director is most happy with. Do When you're in post, do you often choose the final uh, time that you shot a scene or do you end up choosing a different one? So
0: I always start from the last yeah. one because it's true, because what happens is you keep shooting and then for each shoot, you adjust it a little bit. So like logically, the last one should be the one that where you say, OK, everything's cool. And then, you know, let's let's go. So I was talking about the first two stages of production now for the third stage for for post production, there's also another kind of interest because in post-production in a way you create your film once, one more time from scratch. Mm. So it's interesting how like you have preconceived notions about how something should go. And then when you cut it, it's, it actually is completely different sometimes. Mm. And that actually, to be honest, it's scary for me. Yeah. Because it's like, oh wow, like I completely missed that even after so much time prepping it and shooting it. Like I was actually wrong, Mm. but you know, that's actually how it is. Cause at the end of the day, it's, it's a visual medium. So so uh, the only thing that matters is what happens hmm. at the end. Yeah. So you never know. Do you
1: have to ever go back and reshoot the same scene again? And how does, if you do, how does that make the people feel that need to all regroup again and do the same scene? Like idiots? No. Um,
0: <laughs> I, have I done that? Uh, aside from that actress <laughs> that left. um
3: because of yeah. the weather stuff. But mm-hmm. I
0: haven't had the luxury of reshooting. Yeah. You know, I've read that, like, you know, for movies like Star Wars, they go back and reshoot for months. Wow. Yeah. So a lot of, like, if you have the budget, um, I think, I think it's, it's healthy to reshoot because, you know, as I said, like there are a lot, mm. cause it's really interesting. Like no matter how many times you've done and it, there's like, always room to make it better. <laughs> it never is exactly what mm. you think it mm. is. You know what? I, I make this analogy. I think like filmmaking is like cooking, mm. but you've, oh, you've never made the dish <laughs> and you only have one time to get mm. it right. Mm. So you imagine like a kitchen with like, but then it's like a huge kitchen with a hundred people. And then you make this thing for the first time from a a recipe, which is our Mm. script, Mm. but the recipe is a completely different dimension from, Mm. from Mm. the food because recipe is just words on a paper, just Mm. like a script is. And then at the end, when you make, when it comes out, turns into food, it's, you've got a different dimension. So when you jump a dimension, there are always things that you don't predict. And a lot of times, you know, it's for the better even, you know, they're, they're always, you know, when you are imagining like a, whatever, like a chocolate cake, you know, mm-hmm. like no matter how much, how, how detailed you write it, when, when it comes out, you know, it's, it's, they're the, the aromas, the texture. I mean, you can't really write that down, Yeah. but so um. imagine you can only do it once. Like that's the kind of pressure that happens when. And the ingredients like sometimes would uh, run away from you <laughs> and then yell back at you. So that's the, kind of, that's the kind of cooking we're doing.
2: Yeah, And that and sounds uh, like a fun scene in an animation movie yeah, that you could make. True, it's true. <laughs>
3: yeah, actually, I think the, the dish can't be by the experience doing the same one because the 100 people together to work together. Mm. But if one person, the chef, just one, he can't control the quality, you know? I mean, so that's the movie shooting or the commercial shooting, just like a lot of people together to make a dish. Yeah. So that's why every time. The coming out is different.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's true. If, if it's just one person, it's much easier because it just takes so <laughs> many people.
1: Are there ever scenes that you shoot where there are very few people, like less than half a dozen people there? Or does it always require dozens of people?
0: I actually don't like a lot of people. And somehow it always ends up being all these people. <laughs> and every time I'm on set, I'm like, why are they all like why are there so many mm. people?
3: Yeah, actually I remember we have a time shooting it's a lot of people and uh, I must be got uh, the person going to hiding because we have the shooting in the uh I think in a condo or mm. a house. Oh, the house, yeah. yeah. So we must be transfer the people to the second floor, to mm. yeah the third floor and don't make the noise. So sometimes too much Mm, mm. people together is a problem for shooting.
0: Mm. Yeah. And also it's kind of like a machine when you shoot. I see everyone as like like this live Mm. living organism. So when we're shooting, like, I think the larger the machine, the heavier it is and and the more difficult it is to stay on your toes. Mm. Um, But at the same time. The lighter the machine is, the faster you you can make changes. But at the same time, you know, if you want to like change the way your lighting is, it's slower because you have less manpower. Mm, mm. So I think there's a really, there's, it really depends on, on the director's mm. preferences. Like for, for example, mm. like someone like Stanley Kubrick, I hear he has only like a dozen people on set. Mm. Yeah. So which is like a, you know, basically like a student's production, which is great. So I'm really trying to have less people all the time. But a lot of times like the people who are um funding it are kind of are worried that if you have too little people then, you know, your productivity might be low. But for me, like as a director, sometimes like I've I, I can give an example. For mm. example, there was this one scene I shot where it's like two people saying goodbye mm. and then I shot it. As like, kind of this, like, in my mind, it was very like, it was like, this it was sunny and then they say goodbye. It's mm. tears, but there is smiling. And then we shot it and then like two hours and then, um and then we're like, all right, we're done. We'd finish all the shots and let's go. Mm. And then just after everyone is already moving on to the next scene. I just realized that just no matter how I shot it, it just didn't feel right. So finally, I realized that it was the tone was completely wrong. I should have made it like at night and like the person saying goodbye should be very like cold rather Mm -hmm. than like, you know, happy. So I made the decision to like go back to the scene that we just shot which actually is, it's a very big decision because you have to understand that when we're shooting, like you're burning money mm. every second. So basically to do that, to, to, to make that decision, I think, mm. um, you know, I, first of all, I had to realize that like it was wrong. And second of all, I had to have the guts to say, I'm sorry, mm. you know, let's let's do that again. In that situation, if the crew were like even bigger, like 200 people, mm. I don't know if I would have the guts yeah. to say, "Let's let's redo it because the machine is so big so sometimes like you know i feel like in in the middle of the machine like like i'm responsible for everyone like if like 50 people are already like say for example if 50 people are already like scaling a a building to 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 rig Mm -hmm. lights i i I don't know if i'd had the stomach to tell them to like climb down and let's read it (laughs)
1: Alex, you keep saying, I know. So do you have experience working in this industry? Yes,
2: I, I did. I actually, um, I, my uh, focus in my uh, graduate study in New York was in uh, film. So... Oh, yeah, cool. so I, I went to the new school where there were a lot of people. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I saw that you live in New York as well. And uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. later in the show we could talk about, you know, filming in New York and filming in China. What's the you know, those similarities and differences. But I did I did a lot of uh shorts where I was, you know, uh either producing or directing. And it was, it was just funny because I I remember the first couple of sets I was on, I was like trying to decide what part would roll out more interested into you know going into and i was yeah. uh i was uh assistant producing the short and my friend who's a wonderful theater theater director now was the dp for that short film, and he mm-hmm. was wearing that body rig. And I saw that and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to try to become <laughs> right. a DP. That's <laughs> that's, that's too much work. That's I'm not carrying yeah. that thing. I'm not doing yeah. that.
1: Yeah. I'm sorry, for, for those of us who don't understand, what is oh, DP?
2: it's director of photography. So it's the person mm-hmm. who makes all the decisions of, like, how the camera would look at the scene and how it will move and stuff. In smaller productions, they're also the people that carry the cameras. When you have more money, you can have camera ops. So... <laughs>
0: So basically Mm -hmm. the cameraman or camera woman, this was the old term.
1: Link, I have another question. Other than like actually setting up or all of the people in your team, like how do you psychologically get ready to go and direct? Do you just like already know what you want from like weeks of planning or the day of, do you, do you have a routine or like?
0: That's a great question Um, (laughs) because I'm actually all about this. So I'm actually quite obsessive and um, I really like to prep a lot. So I've, I've done this. So Mm -hmm. for the film, we're about to shoot the boy who counted cars. So what I've done is, so a lot of times, like, you know, I think there's several levels of preparation. One is maybe you do a shot list, which is uh, you list out Mm. beforehand the shots you're about to shoot in text form. And then more than that is the storyboard. So you draw out little pictures. So a lot of times, Mm -hmm. like, if we do storyboard, a lot of times people would do storyboards for, like, uh, maybe the the more complicated sequence, the action sequences and everything yeah so for what I did was I actually spent two and a half months with a storyboard artist and we boarded the entire. Nice. movie mm. so yeah, so uh, we done we spent two and a half months and then we drew like a like fifteen hundred pictures Wow and then being the obsessive person I am after that because you know I'm the type of person like I really need everyone to know like what we're doing mm. Mm. so after drawing that out, I'm like, if I just sent this out to everyone. I would still need to explain what these pictures are. Yeah. Hmm. I, I kind of like um asked for a meeting for everyone to come, not just like department people in like creatively, but also like the, the finance people and everybody. In the, mm. in the, and then I'm like, we have to know, you know, yeah, you guys have to know how we're spending this money. So basically I started with the first shot and then I explained the first shot and all the way up until 1,500 <laughs> wow. shots. How long did that take? And then I... Right. And I even had like music. I had like uh, references. Uh I even acted out the scenes. Yeah. So that took me about like eight and a half hours. Wow. <laughs> so just me talking. Yeah. And then um and then I recorded the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I shot the whole thing and then this eight and a half hours of, of, of video, I'm like, so whoever <laughs> is not um, here <laughs> comes in. Exactly. I'm like, don't talk to me until you've, you've watched eight and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, it's the best, it's the best money spent, I think on any production hmm. because it actually makes things super efficient. Yeah, And, um, I really don't, cause I'm really obsessive with like every, like, everything I can think about. I would, Kind of like tell everyone, um, you know. So like, I don't want to be telling the same thing like fifty times. Mm. So basically, um, once everyone's watched that, everyone is super. It's so clear that everybody. I'm really happy about this because everybody is like super, like on point and like um, mm. they know exactly what is required for the scene. So I, I let's talk a little bit about storyboards. Storyboard doesn't mean that you have to shoot it exactly like it. Mm. Because if you think about it, like if I, if I do the opposite, which is if I don't think about what I do until the day of the set, Mm. the issue, then basically you have this huge machine revolving around you and you have a lot of pressure to create, to make the right decisions. Mm. So why would I want to do that when I could make the same decisions when I'm like lying on a couch at my apartment? (laughs) (laughs) So basically like that, I think like when I'm storyboarding at home, you know, I drink some coffee or, you know, drink some, you have some wine, you, you know, you'd, whatever, like, you know, you're super creative and then you can, you can like make mistakes like on the piece of paper and not like on the day. Mm. So what happens is that when, when you, when you draw the storyboards, you really realize that what a scene requires. Yeah. Mm. So when you know what a scene requires, when you're shooting, you might change the angle it might not be the same angle you vision, maybe like this angle looks nicer, blah, blah, blah. But the, the function of the shot is the same. So for example, if I know for, for a fact that I need a shot of this guy, you know, turning his head and looking, you know, toward the camera, you know, that maybe for a kind of punctuation mm-hmm. shot, maybe he doesn't have to turn his head. Maybe he's like sitting down, he's he's looking down and he looks up and looks at the camera or whatever. Like it's the same function, but I know mm-hmm. I need that function. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's very, it's super useful.
1: switch gears a little bit and ask you about like the actors. Sometimes uh, you, you mentioned that you have this very long process where you you uh, coach everyone ahead of time as to what the vision for the film is. And that sounds amazing. I would have never thought that there was so much work and just that part of it. And it does make a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> but when you're on the day of, do you ever have actors have visions of how they're supposed to execute and you have a different vision and it If you give feedback about how you want them, does that always go well or do some people take feedback poorly?
0: So I think um, actors usually come in the latest, unfortunately, in the in the process, Mm. Mm. because um, because, you know, obviously they cost the most. So, um, so they usually come in the latest, but like a lot of times, like, y- you know, once you cast them, you can have some sort of like communication, mm. but they, you know, like nowadays, like, unless you're a huge director, I'm guessing there really is, isn't, you, you wouldn't like rehearse for like a month or whatever, mm. you know? So basically you have, you, you talk to them and then you have a table read and basically that's it, which to me is actually a bit crazy, but you know, it is what it is. Actually I'm the most confident with as as Alex knows as a director really is like you have to be a jack of all trades. Yeah. So th- there there's several like things you have to know about as a director like one is like the camera you have to know about you have to know about you know s- the script you have to know about how to direct actors mm-hmm. you have to know about editing blah blah. blah. So in all of these departments for me I'm the most comfortable with working with actors because actually I I double majored at NYU and My first major was acting. Oh, Mm. neighbor. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. At New School, I have some good friends at New School. Oh, we can talk about that later. (laughs) Because I've I've had so much acting training, but I don't like. I don't act that much. I don't really like to be in front of the camera that much. So, so I was out, Mm. but I found out that I could use my acting training to direct actors. I think each actor Mm. has. Because acting, it's not like, you know, (laughs) math, you know, it's very, it's very, uh, everyone has their own method Mm. and it's not, it's not a science, you know. So, so I think, I think the thing about actors is that you have to know how Mm. to communicate with different styles of actors and some kind of actors, some actors really, yeah like more directing and some actors like less direct
2: uh, on that uh link yeah. people always say like when they recommend actors they would say like well he, she's a very good actor but she's also very directable right. do you do you do you use that do you use that do you like that word do you and what do you think about uh, an actor being either directable or or un indirectable
0: yeah um i think that if you're not on i think it, it's all about trust so mm. it's not just acting, but any department, but especially for acting, if they don't trust you, then they're no, then they aren't really directable. Yeah. Um, if they trust you, even, you know, some notoriously kind of like actors with a lot of, you know, a lot of like, uh, opinions and everything. Like, <laughs> um, I think it's okay if you're on the same page with them, mm. but a lot of times trust is, is not easy to gain and it takes time. Yeah. Mm. I mean, there's, I've directed actors that are very like experienced. I've also directed actors that have zero experience so, and it's a completely different skill set to direct these just exactly as you know, at, when you do, when you direct somebody like super experienced, maybe like I will, I just back off a bit more <laughs> and then I would give them more um, creative license. Kind of like, yeah, but the, the, the types, the types of directing I would give them would be more yeah, thematic. It would be more like internal, like, you know, what, like, what do you want for the scene? Or like, you know, your, your purpose, blah, blah, I, it'd be more like that. But if it were like a, yeah. I've directed non-professional actors, non-professional actors, you would really give them the result. Look, mm. yeah. <laughs> so we just tell them to smile here to like, to look down there. And sometimes like, you know, I've directed non-direct, non, non-professional actors that, and at the end they look really good. So, um, sometimes like it, instead of like smiling, <laughs> instead of like telling them why you need to smile, I would just like, as we're, as we're like shooting, I would just make a joke right in front of them. And they'd smile and just yeah. use that. And then I cut, <laughs> and you would cut the opposite of them smiling to maybe like they're, they're seeing like their girlfriend on the other side. <laughs> you know on the opposite side am, but it's actually just me making a joke i am yeah. so
2: good at that because i also do right. i also do photography and i work with dancers and i was just like right tell that i would be behind camera and they would be doing poses and i would just be talking non-stop like a maniac person be like exactly. imagine there's a beautiful meal in front of you but you're like oh you don't want to eat it. and you make up all of the stupid stuff exactly. just in front of them and you talk to yourself exactly. and it's funny
0: that's funny. Exactly. I, I would literally just say, "Oh, I just farted." I just like really loud. <laughs> <laughs> and then i have just use that and then I'm like, "Okay, let's move on." The thing you do for you know, art.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: So you've lived in, you lived in Hong Kong for 13 years. You lived in New York for 13 years and you've lived in Beijing, I guess, 15 or 16 years now. Wow! So I I wanted to, you and Alex, maybe to talk about what is the difference between living in like New York and Beijing and like, Alex mentioned earlier, an interesting question. What is it like filming Mm -hmm. in each of these localities? And I'm going to pass this over.
0: Yeah. Well, you can, have you shot in China? Yes, I have. I have. And I've worked
2: with the the government as well. It's a very different
0: experience. so what what are your experiences?
2: Well, um, so I'm pretty sure it's kind of universal across the board when you're working mm-hmm. over here, especially if it's, for example, like a tourism, you know, promotional video for the government. Mm-hmm. And it was closer to Suzhou. well, not completely, but it's Yangzhou. It's kind of like a slow, beautiful city mm-hmm. by the water as well. We we luckily didn't have that much rain, but we had the hottest days in I think it was in it was in August. It was in August, and we mm-hmm. had uh, five people on um, my crew uh who had a heat stroke including myself it was oh, no. it was it was it was funny but the the government always had someone there just making sure everything was like set in place even with that we had a change uh location because the location that we you know uh before didn't work like on the day they were like oh no you can't have that room i was like
0: oh no that's, okay
2: fine no. so it's it's the it's the same story everywhere but i generally find it a little more like we have not ever even for our indie film like indie film shoots or mm-hmm. whatever i haven't been stopped here yet i haven't been stopped right. by people well for news yes but not for like other type mm-hmm, of shoots. Mm-hmm. I felt like in New York people had a more guarded uh, you know, mentality when they see people, when they see you like walk around with a camera, and especially if it's a film crew, then they're like, Do you have a permit? Or like, right. why are you shooting on my property? Like, I got threatened by my neighbor. <laughs> he was like, right. This car is seventy thousand dollars I was like, Okay, goodbye. Um, I have never had that happen to me here. So I wonder if that's the same situation yeah. for you as well
0: yeah yeah I, I would agree here it's actually it's much easier to shoot uh on the streets and in, in public areas in china i think uh have like a bigger bigger cruise than then we would like get permits but it would be like for the area but like uh, in the u.s it's a lot of maybe just for like a street yeah. and then you have to cross the street that you can't use it mm-hmm. so it's actually easier to shoot here right people just want to yeah. look
2: most of the time like they want to just watch yeah
0: which is which is actually normal
2: anyway right and then we we've done so, so many yeah. times where we need to just shoot a quick shot of a car pulling up and we we'll just send our pas to just block the road like the smaller right, yeah. road and people are yeah. just like all right okay we'll wait <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in that sense, it's easier. Yeah,
2: sure. But are there are yeah. there anything that's different that you kind of miss or just in comparison, you know, if you're putting two cities together, like which what's the kind of the pros and cons or, or what's special about each location?
0: Well, to be honest, like I when I was in New York, I, I was I was most of the time I was because I double majored in acting and uh, screenwriting. Mm. So a lot of the shoots I've done is I haven't done that many shoots in New York. So I've done shoots in Hong Kong and, and, and mainland, um, maybe more. So yeah. in the U S maybe not that much. So I can't, I can't say, um, that much for the U S but in Hong Kong, I think Hong Kong cruiser, Hong Kong cruiser are smaller than mainland cruise. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and actually they work very fast and I think there's good and bad in this actually, because. Uh, hong kong crews are notoriously fast mm. so um you shoot a movie in like you know like three weeks you're done you know so it's a lot it's a lot of like you know like a lot of like indie oh, wow. indie schedules in the, in the u.s are like normal yeah like a normal like commercial films they just shoot in three weeks <laughs> so um you know those guhozai yes movies the series uh they would shoot them in two weeks
2: wow i did not i did not know that that's yeah.
0: Those huge blockbuster movies. Yeah. So, but there's good and bad in this, you see, because when the the reason why they can shoot so fast is not because of their planning they've done. And it's the opposite. A lot of times they would even change the, the script, mm. you know, on the day of. And then um, the reason why they're fast is because a lot of things are kind of fixed in like it's come it's a bit more formulaic if you know yeah. what I mean yeah. yeah yeah absolutely actually so it's like if you know if you have a like a, a like a romantic scene then you just shoot it this way and you have like actions and you shoot it that way like so I think you know like yeah. on one side it's good because it's fast but on the other way like each the movies itself have less of their own kind of yeah. language
2: I, I I think I've, I've watched uh, interviews yeah. of Hong Kong actors talking about you know not just working in Hong mm-hmm. Kong movie industry also for Hong Kong you know TV programs like you know shows on TVB and um, uh, 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 Wuxian they're all they're all super fast like every day you have to yeah. they go through this almost kind of cruel training in finishing right. shooting in these shows and movies where you have no time to prep and get into character you just have have to deliver when you're on exactly. set but the, the good thing is i guess when you come out of that when you don't need to be in that kind of training anymore when you're say let's you're in your 30s you've done your part of delivering a, a certain number of shows and movies to the industry like i i imagine if you work with hong kong actors who come out of that system oh, yeah. it would they would be fantastic wouldn't they
0: I, I have a friend um actually jason knows him jack mm-hmm. I work with all the time. He also lived in his in, in his own neighbor. So um, he worked with this actor called Yuan Da Hua. Oh God, I love him. Yeah, so he's like... A, Sorry, that's a little... Yeah. <laughs> love him. So he's like an older uh, <laughs> uh, Hong Kong actor. And he's like, this guy is so professional. like It just blew every mind. So he said like, there's this one shot where there were two, two cameras shooting him. And through this like shelf of books. And one was, you know, imagine this long shelf of books and the camera, one camera is like gliding like on on like yeah a dolly and like on one side of the shelf so one camera shoots him through the shelf yeah the other camera shoots on the same side as him right mm-hmm. so he tells me this guy is so professional that yeah so they're both these cameras are on like tracks right so they're both moving for it at different speeds so this guy is able to yeah turn his face so that every time a camera stops it is able to see him he's looking and he's like at the end at the very end of this track on on the one like that's shooting through the shelf there's a super small hole through these books and he was able to put his face through that super small gap so that the camera could see his eyes
2: I'm trying to remember what movie (laughs) that is I would love to just watch that clip again
0: and uh, you have to realize like the actor can't he can't be looking at the camera while they're shooting so he's Mm -hmm. just doing this like through like you know whatever the eyes like at the back of his head (laughs) and that's how professional these people are it's crazy
1: yeah you say, you know, yeah. about the sci-fi movie market in China right now? You you mentioned a couple of your movies are in the sci-fi genre. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, like Wandering Earth, a lot of movies that seem to be coming out in this genre yeah. in the mainstream. How do you feel about like the development of science fiction in China these days?
0: That's a great question, because, um, you know, I actually started writing like maybe six years ago and at that time there wasn't a lot of sci-fi yet but after wandering earth it kind of like opened a door mm. and at the same time the government has has this like policy out that promotes you know sci-fi movies and like they want to support sci-fi movies yeah. so it's a good time for it but at the same time it takes time to make sci-fi films you know, especially hard sci-fi films yeah because you know it takes several years to prep you know wandering earth would take several years i actually do what they call like real sci-fi like or like soft sci-fi uh, so the kind of sci-fi I do is kind of rooted in the real world. So it's it's easier for, you know, these movies are, are easier than like, you know, The Wandering Earth or whatever. Yeah. I mean, the
1: next question I really wanted to ask yeah. Sheena specifically, like, because mm-hmm. she does a lot of production with Link. Like, do you, I mean, he's obviously directing, but you're producing. Do you, yeah. how does, what's your relationship like when you're producing Link? Does Link take your feedback? <laughs> and how does that work?
3: For me, yeah, I just, uh, you know, support him. Because he's, um, he has very uh, clear direction. So I just, uh, doing my work, is mm, mm. to pray for everything is ready, you know. <laughs> the, all the crew and mm. uh, all the stuff smoothly going on. So that's my job. And uh, mm, I think mm. uh, if we are doing the script writing together, I will talk to him and... Uh, you know, just uh, like uh, chat and uh, there is something useful can, you know, just by chat. And uh, sh- uh, he can very organize all the stuff.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what would you say some of your inspirations are in making movies? Like what are some of the, your favorite directors, movies, uh, projects?
0: Um, man. <laughs> hmm. So um, I actually have this. Um, I have a list, actually. And I and actually I urge all like aspiring filmmakers to do the same. Mm-hmm. So I have like this list of movies that I really like. I separate them into like three tiers. Wow. So um yeah, like tier one, like my favorite movies, and then tier two, you know, tier three, less favorite. Yeah. But like a kind of like I, I separate them and I urge everyone to do it because if you're a filmmaker, like knowing what you like can really inform what you do. Yes. Sometimes when you like something, it doesn't mean that it works for you like this style works for you.
2: Or you agree with everything about exactly. it.
0: Exactly. So it's good. To, it's really good for self-knowledge. Yeah. You, at the top of my head, I really like um, what I I like filmmakers that are genre filmmakers with their own unique style. So, for example, like David Fincher. Mm. Or like, um, mm. you know, or like uh, Nolan or mm. Denis, yeah. Denis Villeneuve. Oh, he's mm. the best. So the ones who are alive. And then the ones who are dead, like me, like Hitchcock, Kubrick. So all, all these people are kind of like along the veins of like creating like um, genre movies, but have their own unique style. And like, I would say Fincher, Hitchcock and Kubrick are kind of like, Obsessive. Mm, mm. I'm not kind of like Kubrick is super obsessive, <laughs> and like you know, I'm 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 not comparing myself to them, but I'm also quite obsessive, so mm. I, I I can I can relate mm, to that.
1: Mm. Uh, Sheena, what mm. kind of movies do you like? She likes different, very, quite actually. Different movies I mm.
3: yeah, I like a lot of different type movie, but also like Link said, I think the people who want to directing or producing, I think most directing the movie. He must be understand what kind of movie you like and what kind of movie mm. you can make. That's different because yeah. because uh something is you know yeah the self knowledge. So Sheena also and, uh,
0: directs some stuff herself. Yeah.
3: So for me, so if, her
0: style is completely different from mine.
3: Yeah. For me, I love to watch a lot of
0: mm-hmm.
3: you know uh genre movie, uh. But for me, I think the easier way. To be, uh, to be a director is um, I do some documentary stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I can just uh, hold my camera and I can directing the stuff and uh, finish it. So that's the way I think in the, this time, you know, everyone can get a good camera time. So that's easier to be a director. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's true. And yeah. also I, I think I... I good at maybe some a uh, naturally art house film because mm, general film, yeah. I like it, but it's must be have uh, maybe a hundred people together to work, and you must be big
2: production yeah. yeah, the
3: big production you have uh you must have the financial part very you know ready, and the actor mm, mm. so for me, I think the easier way is the doing the yeah, the like
0: documentary.
3: Who, like what director? Like a lot of, Agnes. like, Homer. Uh, she really
0: likes, like, uh, Romer.
3: Not, not very likes because I know the way he's doing it's <laughs> the easier way to finish a film.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, like, Eric Romer, and she likes, like, uh, Agnes Varda. Hmm. Yeah. Uh oh. So it's more it's completely different from
2: yeah. 180. I just haven't heard that name for so long. Uh, it's
0: 180 <laughs> d- degrees from Stanley Kubrick. Like, completely different. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah.
3: I also very like the David Fincher yeah. and the uh, Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. And uh I dreamed I can, you know, to shoot movie like them. So mm. yeah. Yeah, but I yeah. just find a way to easier to can finish the project for mm-hmm. myself. Yeah.
0: Link,
1: why have you chosen to go down the path of making science fiction movies and what can science fiction movies teach people? Uh, that's a
0: great question. For me, science fiction is really a background for human stories, which is why I like soft science mm. fiction, because it really just gives me excuse to kind of explore some kind of interesting emotional and philosophical themes Mm -hmm. so for Mm -hmm. me it's more like an excuse in a way you know it's kind Mm -hmm. of like an engine once you have this setting you can kind of like go into like interesting philosophical discussions but if it if it were real it would be very hard to kind of get into that so it's to me it's and i actually my in into science fiction isn't aren't necessarily science fiction films or writers um I actually don't read that many like science fiction books, but like the the one Mm. author that really has that mindset that that made me interested in this mindset is actually not considered a science fiction author, which is who's Borges. Hmm. Mm. So Jorge Luis Borges, Mm. the Argentinian Mm. writer. um, For for me, he, he doesn't really write science fiction, but his mindset, what you do is like, he has this like kind of a setup. And then he, he, he writes about the setup and then he kind of like uses the logic of the setup mm-hmm. often. And it's, it has to be super logical. It has to be hyper logical. And at the end of the story, a lot of times he would find like contradictory results. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's, what's really interesting to me is when you, you've had a setup and then you keep on going deep into it. And you keep saying, "Oh, so what would happen next? What would happen next? What would happen next?" And at the end, of, at the end of it, it actually has an opposite thing, which that's really interesting to me. And I, I, I like to use that kind of mindset in in my in my stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, like speculative, I think to me, like that's really what is you know, like a speculation, mm. and then you kind of like pursue that speculation to its most logical but unexpected conclusion. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you encounter a, a special kinds of difficulties when shooting science fiction that you don't have in other genres?
0: Yeah, sure. Because even if, um, even when I say that we, we do real sci fi in the real world, like there's still, you know, there's still CGI, there's still computer graphics involved. So, um, so a lot of times when there's, there, there's special effects, like you have to prep even more. Mm, mm. Which is which is fine with me. <laughs> I'm Mister. I'm Mister Prep. Mr. Prep.
2: (laughs) So
3: every time we wish before the shooting, the commercial or stuff, he will ask me, sure, everything's okay? Are you sure everything is okay? (laughs) A lot of times, yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: So, yeah. So actually I, because, you know, to this day I've shoot like, what, like several dozen commercials. Mm. To this day I still get like, I still get kind of nervous before the day of the shoot. Mm. Yeah.
3: And And actually he's very enjoying the shooting.
0: But once I, Mm. it's really weird. Like once I step on the set, then I'm not nervous at all
3: yeah he's relaxed I'm very re- yeah. the only
0: time I relax is when I'm shooting because he's got Sheena
3: <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe he's born for directing <laughs>
0: no I think I just like I don't mind it now like once once we're on set it's like there's nothing I can do anymore but to just try to make this the best but before we're like before set I feel like there's so much more we can do but once, mm-hmm. once I'm on I'm not I'm not nervous at all I play well. just yeah. let yeah, it yeah, happen yeah. <laughs>
1: do you ever think of like, what is the typical Chinese person looking for and how are you going to reach them? Do you ever think about the demographic in that way? Mm
0: -hmm. I think of the typical person. So for me, when I'm writing something, Mm -hmm. I think the most important is to know the audience's reaction at every moment, at every twist and turn of your story. Mm And I think Mm -hmm. that's the job of the director. And so when I'm writing, like it's not just what I'm trying to express, but how are they Mm going to experience the story? So For every Mm. moment, whether when I'm writing, what I'm shooting or when we're editing, is that I have to know what the audience is feeling right now. Mm. And the way to do it is very simple, is to put the audience on the same mindset as the
1: protagonist. (laughs) So if
0: every moment what your protagonist wants and feels is clear, then the audience should be following.
1: How has the pandemic affected your ability to uh, produce? Has that interfered with like shot shooting that you wanted to do?
0: Yeah. With shooting, it's, it's very difficult now because um, say, for example, for this movie, we're prepping at first, we wanted to shoot in one city and then Mm. that city, like, you know, had some cases. Yeah. So we, so, but we already like did all the scouting. So like, and then we have to like go to a different city and we had to look for locations all over again, Mm. but actually for creation, creating it's, in a way it's for writing mm. it's easier because you have mm. more time at home. <laughs> <laughs> that's too true. <laughs> yeah. So for actually for this story like the, the boy who counted cards, that's how it came uh, that that's how it came about because actually before the pandemic, Anna might the, the other script. Basically, we already found investment. Mm. Mm. And then right before the pandemic, uh, all of a sudden, everything like collapsed. Mm. And so when the pandemic happened in like 2020, like I was really depressed in the beginning because like it just collapsed. And so I was actually inspired to write this script, Mm. The Boy Who Counted Cars. So, yeah, it's just, you know, you never (laughs)
1: know. For our Chinese listeners, and we do have quite a few. What is The Boy Who Counted Cars Chinese name?
0: So it's funny because I actually came up with the English uh title first. so but if I, at first I translated it directly into Chinese Boy kind of cars. in Chinese, it really sounds like an, like an elementary school uh, math pr- program. <laughs> so um in chinese it's it's a completely different name. So in Chinese Yang kind of. hmm. So like, so I, uh, I look on yeah. the cab and
2: I yeah. see two identical pieces
1: of
0: clouds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they're both quite quite cryptic. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, they're, they're both related to the story.
1: Is there story. any particular philosophy that you try to embed in your work, or is it just all about the story, or does it just come from deep within you?
0: Yeah, that's a good question as well. Um, I think a lot of people would like to talk like to talk about theme. Mm-hmm. For me, it's all about character. So I actually, mm-hmm. whatever wherever the interesting character, mm-hmm. if I come up with a very interesting concept for a character, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then I just go with it. So maybe for hmm. each different hmm. movie, there's a different philosophy. So there's not really like one thing.
2: Live with to their do. character.
1: <laughs> Sheena does production, and you're you're doing script writing. But yeah, does Sheena uh, ever lay her ideas into the script?
3: Sometimes I talk yeah, to we him. Discuss. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we discuss yeah. about uh, the every every character. And uh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, like we, I just finished another sci fi script during the spring festival, Mm, Mm. very productive. So, yeah, we've been, yeah, we're talking. I did nothing for the Chinese spring. (laughs) Thanks, thanks. Wait, Jason, where are you right now? Are you
1: in Beijing? I'm in Wuhan. Alex is actually, if you want to see Alex, sure, she's a a stand up comedian in Beijing, and you can find her doing stand up comedy all over the city on a weekly basis. But I'm in Wuhan.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I remember you moved to Wuhan. I'd love to see, I'd love to see see you live sometime alex.
3: yeah stand-up comedy show. yeah yeah i love that I, i'm very into louis ck and
0: uh, else? <laughs> 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 hey, let me ask you a question alex so you you yes is your stand-up in chinese or in english
2: In english all right cool when well, you speak chinese well? I, I do i do but I, I i never like ventured out to do chinese stand-up comedy because i didn't know anyone i started doing english just because it wasn't like ah. oh i am going to become an english stand-up Comedian, that just happened, and I haven't tried Chinese yet. So, have so. you? Have
0: you like? Would it be like a, a different, like a like a Windows versus Mac system in your mind? Kind of, like, smith- actually,
2: for me. That's why people are like, you just translate your jokes. I'm like, no, it doesn't work like so, that,
0: right? But have you tried? Uh,
2: Not yet. Right. <laughs> jason always says on the show jason always says alex is a professional stand-up comedian i'm like i'm not professional i right. do this for fun you know right. on my free time and i right. barely get paid you know <laughs> so, let me tell you something
0: i'm really like i'm really fat. look like, she and i love like watching stand-up comedy yeah. like and like but to me like i can't I literally cannot <laughs> come up with one joke.
2: Like, you can memorize jokes, right?
0: I can, I, I can memorize. Like, I just don't know how you do it. Like, I'm so fascinated by it. I, I've, I've, give you mad props for it.
2: Yeah. Th- thanks, man. But it's kind of like, you know, all of these, it's, it's storytelling basically. Yeah. I'm
0: like, I, yeah, it's so different. I don't know why. I just can't like, you know, actually, and I do sometimes I'm thinking like, oh, I wonder <laughs> if like someone like made force me to do stand up. Comedy one day, if like you force, if you put a gun in my head, I was thinking, can I come up with one joke? Maybe. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I've even read like books. I've read like oh, so many books by stand up comedians, and I still can't come up with one joke. <laughs> I've read like the Steve Martin book. I've read like Jerry Seinfeld's book. Yeah. I've read uh, all these, I've read many, and that's what I do in my spare time. <laughs> I just can't come up with anything. <laughs>
1: reading, joke writing books trying to come up with <laughs> so jokes. trying to think of jokes <laughs> perplexed. In the
0: event that someone puts a gun in my head. and makes You could just t-
1: t- tell someone else's joke and say you came up with it in the gun situation. Yeah. <laughs> but like,
0: but I don't get it because like when, when like I'm hanging
1: out, I think I can crack jokes. Mm. Yeah.
0: But like I can't come up with anything. I don't yeah, know. a written
1: joke that you could perform 20 times. Yeah.
3: yeah, I think they must be have the structure of to telling like the story and the timing is the important. Tint so they timing,
2: timing yeah. is really really important yeah. that's why some jokes work for some people and then it's just yeah. same, a similar topic it just doesn't work for other people so that way it's very much like filmmaking which you're yeah. an expert of hey like, can I so. I'm sorry can, can I get
0: <laughs> one more thing about stand-up comedy absolutely so you know who my favorite stand-up comedian is unfortunately it's, it's Norm Macdonald he just passed mm-hmm. away I know that's a, just super sad yeah you know I love him because and I think this is what's stopping me from doing comedy is because you know his jokes are like super long mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're so weird and like kind of like off. <laughs> I think I'm always trying yeah. to do something weird. Mm. And the, like it's almost like anti-jokes. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that's why. That's what's like stopping.
1: We were me. also talking about Hong Kong and New York and Beijing in terms of filming. But like you're currently living in Beijing. Is there a reason for that? Yeah. The reason I asked the question about living in Beijing is this where the center of uh filmmaking in China right now? Is that why you're there? Uh,
0: Yeah, it is actually.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah. I think because the most people who's
0: doing film yeah they live in beijing mm-hmm. yeah i think there's no way no way to not live in beijing if you're trying to do film in, in china mm-hmm. yeah, yeah.
1: Work film. are in there other places in china that are also like people are there other localities where there's a, a focal point of people making movies there used to be more there used to be like decades
0: ago there used to be different like we call like you know <inaudible> <inaudible> yeah.
1: so beijing is, yeah, yeah. is really the the center of filmmaking in china but
0: but now it's basically because like if you're in Shanghai, for example, it's mostly for commercials. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah,
1: this is kind of the last big question. I want you, you know, you're talking about your your film that you're working on right now. That's going to begin production soon. Could you tell us a little bit about that project as much as you're willing to anyway?
0: Yeah. So um, so actually, let me tell you how I came up with it. As I said earlier, like I was super depressed because Anna like lost the funding. And so I was like in the beginning of the pandemic. hmm. I was kind of, um, you know, everybody Mm. was stuck in their apartments Mm. and then like, I kind of had this, like, Mm. had this vision of like everybody alone, but just separated by a wall. Mm. So I was imagining everyone in our, in our building, like Mm. by themselves, Mm. but they're just separated by one wall. So uh, this idea of like being alone together. And then I was thinking like, I'm really used to this kind of alone Mm. together thing because I grew up in a city, right? In Hong Kong. And also in New York, you know, when you're, when you're like getting out of the subway, everyone's basically their own island. Mm. You know, yeah. I mean, you're like, you're with like a, you know, 200 people around you, but everyone's like in their own little world. Mm. So in my mind, like, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, at least like this concept of alone together was really like the pandemic was really like the whole world mm. was alone together. Mm. So it was really like the most extreme version of this concept. And I was interested in the, theme of loneliness mm. and um and then i gradually came up with this idea of like this guy who thought that everybody the whole world is fake and mm-hmm. everyone in around him is an npc like a computer a computer and he was the only real person mm. Mm. and so yeah and so he's trying to find mm-hmm. clues <laughs> to prove that it's a fake world and then obviously it's because it's a romance so one day he meets this girl and you know Mm. gradually he thinks that she's the second real person so that's that's what the story is about yeah
3: yeah and i think it's a very touching story Mm. (laughs) every time even though now i read the script i still can imagine the the main character you know the feel i can feel so yeah yeah Let's
1: see. <laughs> you know, it was such a great pleasure having you guys on the show. Thank you so much you. for uh, coming on the bridge. Thank
0: you so much, Jason. Thank,
2: Thank you, you for Ella. sharing all the lovely stories with us
0: as well. Thank you, guys. It was Thank really
1: you. Fun. See you next time.